you, uh, do you remember how old you were when you discovered that life isn't fair? Yeah, how old were you when you discovered life isn't fair? I vividly remember uh, I was at school. I was in year four on the playground, and something broke out on the playground, and because of my proximity to the event, uh, I was found guilty. And uh, this was back in the day, I don't know if you had this day here in the UK, but this was back in the day in America when if you got in trouble at school, you got paddled. And I remember going to the head teacher's office and he took a big wooden paddle off of the wall and made me bend over and proceeded to correct me. And I remember standing there and no one had ever done that to me before. And I remember thinking, but I did nothing wrong. And it was my first taste that that life isn't always fair. Is that true? In fact, we don't have to look any further than, uh, than Yahoo or the, the New York Times or the Telegraph, whatever it is, wherever we get our news, and we quickly learn that life is not fair. And in fact, injustice seems to run wild in our world. Is that true? I mean, we, we live in a world where uh, a man and a woman with the same qualifications doing the same job, often the woman doing a better job, and yet the woman gets paid less. We live in a world because uh, we're, we're determined by the color of your skin determines the, the school you go to or the job you get. The neighborhood you live in, your postcode determines what people think about you. Uh, shared with you before, many, many years ago, we were moving house and uh, we were looking at a house in Perry Common, but it just so happened to be because of where the house sat, it had a Sutton postcode. And I remember the estate agent saying, I haven't told you the best part of the house. And I'm thinking, please be a jacuzzi, please be a jacuzzi, please be a jacuzzi. And she's like, the best part is you'll have a Sutton postcode. And I said, and why does that matter? And she said, well, if you don't know why that matters, don't worry about it. I'm quite proud of B23, amen? Well, well, right? Like we, we judge people based on their clothes, based on where they live, based on the car they drive. We, we live in a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Uh, I read just this week that 1%, 1% of the world's population, which is now over 7 billion, 1% of the world's population own 10% of the world's wealth. 10% own 85%. 10% of the people on this planet own 85% of the planet's wealth. Think about that. Uh, I, I, we, we live in a world, America has an election this year, and, and your choice is between this old white corrupt man or that old white corrupt man. It's the world we live in. And, and when we come to the Psalms, and when we come to a Psalm like Psalm 69 that Simon just read for us, we, we are reminded that the world is unjust, the world is not fair, but we're going to see in just a moment, we also are reminded that God is good and He will be glorified. Amen? And He is always working for the good of His people and for His glory. And so, uh, uh, if, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 69. And we're just going to quickly go through some verses together as, as we talk about what it means to follow Jesus in a broken world. And, and um, as, as Shane um, reminded us, this is all moving towards prayer. And how, how do we pray through certain circumstances of life? And, and so how do we pray 
when life is unfair? How do we pray when life is unjust? How do we pray in a broken world? And so what does it mean to pray to follow Jesus amongst the world's brokenness? And so uh, I'm, I'm not going to read, reread Psalm 69 for us. We, we've heard the word of the Lord, um, but, but let me pray for us. And then we're going to spend just a few minutes just looking at what it means to follow Jesus and to pray in a broken world. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And, and Lord, um, yeah, we, we just acknowledge that this world is broken we live in a world that is often unfair and unjust. We, we live in a world where it often seems, Lord, that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And our minds don't comprehend it and our hearts often don't like it. And so, Lord, as, as we spend just these next few moments in your word, uh, we, just, we just want to acknowledge, as always, that we can't understand your word apart from your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, would you open our minds, give us understanding of your word? And then, Lord, we, we want to be changed by your word. So, Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts? And may we leave this place today encouraged and challenged by what you would say to us, your people, through your word, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What does it look like to, to follow Jesus? in a broken world, and, and to pray to him. And we're just going to see three, three really simple truths. Uh, number one, we see this. As, as followers of Jesus in a broken world, we endure persecution from evil. As followers of Jesus in a broken world, we endure persecution from evil. Evil exists in this world, and evil is not simply the absence of good. Uh, evil is not simply a void where good does not exist. Evil is its own thing. Evil at times seems almost tangible, doesn't it? The scripture says, uh, describing the devil, that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about that. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that is the world we live in. We live in a world that is broken, and we endure persecution from evil. And so David acknowledges this in this psalm. David just acknowledges, listen, this world is broken, and because of that, as followers of Jesus, as those who love God, as David did, we endure persecution because of the brokenness. And he mentions it in two, uh, two separate ways. First, he says this. He says, we suffer pain and persecution because of the deeds of others. We suffer pain and persecution because of the deeds of others. If you have your Bible, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4, some examples. He says, those who hate me without reason. They hate me without reason. Like, I've, I've done nothing to them. I, I haven't sinned against them. I haven't hurt them. And yet, David says, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. He emphasizes that. He says, they hate me without reason, and they are my enemy without cause. I have done nothing to them, yet they hate me. I've done nothing to them, yet they hate me. Do we see that in the world we live in? How crazy that, that we would dislike someone because the amount of melanin in their skin is different from ours. How, how dumb is that? 
By the, by the way, I'd always, I'd always, I never understood, particularly in America in the South where I grew up, that white people are racist towards black people, but then white people try to get tan to look black like black people. You follow? How messed up is the world we live in? That, that we would dislike someone without cause simply because of the melanin in their skin or their gender or whatever it might be. Uh, he, he gives another example. Look at verse 7 in your Bible. He says, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. Verse 9, For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. He's like, God, they don't like you, but they're taking it out on me. Right? God, they don't like you, but they're taking it out on me. The, the, the point is this, that we often will suffer pain and persecution from others, right? How old were you when you learned that not everyone will be your friend? Yeah? Not everyone on the playground wants to play with you. It's the world we live in. And so sometimes in a broken world, we suffer persecution, heartache, struggle uh, because of others. But let's acknowledge this. That also we suffer pain and persecution because of our own deeds. Are you with me? Sometimes we suffer pain and persecution from ourselves. Verse 5, look at your Bible. He says, you, God, know my folly, my foolishness. My guilt is not hidden from you, for you, God, know my foolishness. Ask David, David, uh, are you unjustly persecuted? And David would say yes. Ask David, do you deserve to be punished? And you read Psalm 51. As, as David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered to cover up the, the sin because she was pregnant. And David begins to spiral downward in this, this pain and persecution that impacts him directly. And then it, it boils over in judgment to his son who rapes his daughter and his other son who kills that son for raping the daughter. And it goes on and on to the point where David uh, for a time loses the kingdom and there's no one to blame but him himself oh I like to blame others for all my problems yeah have you ever noticed sometimes you fall in a mess and sometimes you jump in one you ever you ever experienced that I, I can remember once walking uh we we were walking near the house and I think I was taking Max to school and our son Max was probably about five or six at that time and there was this massive puddle and I was talking to Kayla and I turned around to talk to her when I turned back Max was in the puddle, submerged in water above his shoes. And he looked at me and said, uh, Daddy, I fell in. I fell in. Son, you didn't fall in, you jumped. We're the same way. See, it's cute when you're five. It's sad when you're 53. Yeah? And sometimes, I'll just be honest, sometimes I jump in sin. And as much as I would like to blame someone else, there's no one to blame but me. And so, uh, so David says, we suffer pain and persecution from others, but let's also acknowledge that we ourselves are broken and that we often contribute to the brokenness. Whether it's in our marriage, whether it's with our kids, whether it's at work, at school, wherever may, we may be. And so we suffer pain and persecution from evil, from the evil of others, from the evil of ourselves. This is a really depressing sermon, but just hold on. It's going to get better, okay? 
but it's going to get a bit worse, but then it's going to get better. Uh, here's, uh, here's, here's the second thing uh, that we learned. As followers of Jesus in a broken world, we endure persecution, but secondly, we wait on divine punishment. We see persecution from evil, but we're reminded there will be punishment of evil. Don't miss that. We, we suffer persecution from evil, but the Bible promises that there will be punishment of evil. And so, so David brings this out in a, in a couple of places. And, and so this, this would kind of be really a summary of what the Bible says about evil and how God will deal with it in the future. And so David mentions this. He says that uh, we wait for evil to be punished and righteousness to prevail. We're, we're in this waiting, uh, this waiting time. Shane was mentioning a prayer for patience, right? And all of us can relate, I'm sure. And, and here we are in, in, in the aspect of the kingdom of God, and we're in a time of waiting. And, and we're waiting for Jesus to come back, amen? And, and the Old Testament said he would come the first time, and he did. The New Testament says he'll come again, and he will. And when he comes, he came the first time as, as the Lamb of God, and he will come the next time as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And evil will be punished. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning. And, and here's, here's, this, here's this tight wire that we're about to try to walk together, and it's this. That should break our hearts for those who don't know the Lord, that there will be a day of punishment for evil. And yet we celebrate that because it, it exalts the righteousness of God. Are you with me? And so we, we walk this tightrope together, and I don't always get it right myself. Uh, we, we pray for those who don't know the Lord. We pray for those. The Bible says pray for those who spitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. I mean, we're called to pray for those who do evil against us. The Bible's clear. And yet there's also this, this other side of the coin that one day when Jesus returns and evil is punished and, and God is exalted and glorified in that, we, we relish that day. We look forward to that day when evil no longer exists. And the Bible says in that day, the, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. Won't that be beautiful? Won't that be beautiful when guns are turned into pitchforks and pitchforks are turned into uh, hose and, 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 and there's nothing left but just the beauty of God's creation. No more sin, no more brokenness, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more wars, no more rumors of war. It's all gone and righteousness prevails. Amen, church? That day is coming. That day is coming. But we wait. But we wait. And, and so uh, David, uh, David says this for us. Look at verse 22 in your Bible. He, he says this, may the table, and they're harsh words. May the, table, may the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. David prays for punishment over evil and for righteousness to prevail. And, and how do we walk that tightrope? How do we walk it? And I, I think we are our, our, our example is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus did not water down sin, and yet he forgave the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He said, go and sin no more. Amen? 
And so we see this, this beautiful balance in the Lord Jesus. And so we wait for divine punishment of evil, and it, it's coming. Um, I, I don't know if, if you've read the back of the book, but when you read the back of the book, Jesus wins. Amen? Jesus wins. Like it, it, Genesis chapter 3 said he would come and he would crush the head of evil and wickedness. And you get to Revelation chapter 21, and guess what? He has crushed the head of wickedness and evil. And what is left is spectacular. Uh, the promise is simply this. One day evil will be destroyed. One day. And in Revelation 21, he says, and, and when, we, when we're with Jesus in that day, he says, there is no more suffering. There is no more sin. There is no more sadness. Every tear is wiped away. There is no mourning. There is no sickness. And then he says in verse 5, Revelation 21, he says, for he on the throne is making all things new. I, I'll confess. It's a little, uh, a little thing that I don't confess often, but that's it. I kind of like home improvement shows. I don't know if that indicts my masculinity at all, but I kind of like a, a, a good fix-up, you know, where they go in, you're like, oh, that house is rubbish, and at the end, you're like, that house is awesome, you know, and they go in and fix it up. And here's, here's what the Bible says, Revelation 21, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It will be renovated. It will be righteous. It will be perfect. It says the sea is no more, and the sun has been replaced because its light is no longer needed because the glory of Jesus lights all creation. Come on. If this was a Pentecostal church, y'all would be swinging right now. That is good news, amen? Gav, you know it's true, brother, right? That's good news. And, and, and so here's the thing. Here's, here's, the, here's the balancing act. Lord, I can't wait for that day. But God, there's still people I love who won't be there. So Lord, I need you to wait. I need you to wait because there's still people that I need to bring with me. And that's the balance, amen? That's the balance. And, and so uh, we see that uh, in a broken world, we endure persecution from evil. In a broken world, we await divine punishment of evil. But then lastly, we see this, that as followers of Jesus, we trust God for preservation from evil. Right? There's, there's persecution from evil. There will be punishment of evil. And now through Jesus, we have preservation from evil. And David, uh, David mentions this. Look at uh, verse 29. Verse 29, he, uh, he writes this. He says, But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, pain from others, pain I've created for myself, Lord, may your salvation, God, protect me. He goes on in verse 33, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Isn't that great? Are you thankful this morning that the Lord hears the needy? The Lord hears the needy. The, the prayer of a broken heart is always heard by a loving God. He, he says, the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. People, uh, David is basically saying this, that God has promised to save and preserve those who call out to him, who call out to him. 
I'm, I'm reading a, a really interesting uh, book right now, and it's, um, it's about the Nuremberg trials. Uh, these were the trials immediately after the conclusion of World War II, and these were the trials that took place in Nuremberg, Germany. They were broadcast literally around the world, and this was the persecution of, of the top Nazi uh, leaders who were captured, who most of them had uh, committed suicide, but those who remained, Goering and others, they were captured, and they're, they're on trial. And so um, the, the United States Army, part of uh, Army protocol is that whenever someone is arrested and they're kept in a military prison, they by law have to be assigned a chaplain. And so they went on the look to find a chaplain who would minister to these Nazi leaders. And they couldn't find anyone who would take it. They decided that instead of requiring a chaplain to do it, they would want a volunteer. And no one would volunteer until they found a man who had already retired in his 50s. And uh, he was already living in Illinois. And someone recommended him because he was Lutheran and he spoke German. And so they asked him to pray about it. He did. His wife said, you are absolutely crazy. The world will vilify you. And he said, yeah, but who am I to deny the gospel to any man? He got on a plane and he flew to Nuremberg, Germany. He spent weeks sharing the gospel and he kept a journal. And the book I'm reading is from his journal. And he talks about the reception of these men and some who mocked him and laughed at him and some who, as they stood on the gallows, professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and asked for forgiveness. And I'll confess when I read it and I read the testimonies of the four uh, Nazi leaders who became followers of Jesus, there was a part in me that thought, nah, did they really? Is that, is that really, God, would you really want to save them? And, and, and God just, I put the book down and God, I just began to cry. And the Lord was like, who are you to think that your heart is any less wicked than theirs? Who are you to think that your heart is any less wicked than theirs? And who are you to think it's harder for me to save them than it was to save you? And why would I not want to save them? Because of the glory it brings to my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He, he says here that the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever will, the Bible says, let him come. Whosoever will. The doors are open, let him come. And, and so we see persecution from evil, punishment of evil, but there will be preservation from evil for uh, God's people. Uh, David goes on to write this in uh, verses uh, 30 and 34. Look at your Bible. Look at verse 30. He says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. And then in verse 34, let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. It, what, what an amazing! We opened up uh, Psalm sixty-nine uh, with with just uh, the waters cover me up. I, I, I sink in the miry depths. There's there's no place to put my feet. The deep waters engulf me. I mean, I'm drowning in sin. And then by the time we get to verse 30, David breaks out in praise and says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. For David, it seems, almost reminds himself that God hears the needs and he hears the prayers of the needy and he responds. And he is a God who saves those who call out to him. 
I love that. I, I love that, that David begins with, with a lament. He begins with, dare I say, even a, a wee bit of a moan. And he ends in a praise and worship concert. It's the journey that the Lord takes him. I, uh, a friend of mine who lives in Wales, I saw, was writing this week, and I was reading what he had been writing. And he was writing about the Psalms. And this is what he said. He said, isn't it interesting that in God's sovereignty, David never wrote a psalm about beating Goliath? Isn't that true? That's the, that would have been Psalm 1 if Kenny wrote it. I'd have been like, Psalm 1, how I beat the guy who was twice as big as me. Psalm 2, read Psalm 1, it's good. Right? He never writes a psalm about beating Goliath. But he writes a psalm about committing adultery. Because it's real. The reality is, in David's life, when you read through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, uh, David had more bad days than he had good days. David had more defeats than he had victories. And praise God, he wrote about it. Amen? When we come to a psalm like Psalm 69, we get it because we feel it. Because it's the world we still live in. It's the world we still live in. But David says, uh, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. And so he begins to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord. Because he says, yes, we are persecuted by evil, but praise God, one day it will be punished. But here's the thing. In the waiting room of the kingdom of God, we are preserved. God preserves those who know him and love him. Amen? He preserves us. He keeps us. And at the end of the day, he brings beauty from brokenness. He brings beauty from brokenness. It's very interesting, Psalm 69. It's mentioned nine times in the New Testament. It's quoted nine times in the New Testament. And all nine times that Psalm 69 is quoted in the New Testament, it's always a reference to Jesus. It's always a reference to Jesus. Does this sound familiar? Verse 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus. And if there's anything we learn from our Lord Jesus, it's that God brings beauty out of broken things. He brings beauty out of broken things. Jesus lived his life giving sight to the blind, giving speech to the mute, giving life to the dead, giving freedom to the demon-possessed. And what did he get in return? He was beaten, spat upon, mocked, and nailed to an old rugged cross. If that was the end of the story, as Paul says, of all men, we would be most pitiful. But praise God, there was a crucifixion on Friday, but there was a resurrection on Sunday. And all the world saw that God brings beauty out of broken things. And he's still doing it. Amen. He's still doing it. Uh, there's a beautiful piece of Japanese pottery. It's called kajitsu. And kajitsu pottery is pottery that's been broken. But the, the, the artist takes the pieces of broken pottery and puts them back together again. And he does so using gold inlaid filling. And so when you see this bowl, 
instead of trying to cover the places where it was shattered, the places where it was shattered stand out. And the idea is this with the pottery, that it's more valuable because it's been broken. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, Lord, that'll preach. And so I'm going to go order one of those on eBay, and I'm going to hold it up until I saw the cheapest one was 1,200 pounds. And then I was like, Lord, I'll just tell them about it. (laughs) Watch this. I love Japanese culture. Watch this. The pottery is more valuable because it's been broken. It's more valuable because it's been broken. You know what? Brokenness. Can, can become our greatest asset. If we experience Jesus in ways we never would have before. So how do we pray? How do we pray? Well, let's, let's look to Jesus, and we're going to go through this bit uh, a bit quickly, so you, might, you can take a picture of it. Um, but how do we pray then? And I, I think we, we just always go back to Jesus, yeah? We just go back to Jesus. So, um, how, how do we pray in light of the things we just learned? So, we, what was the first thing we saw? First thing we saw is that, that in a broken world, we endure persecution, right? In a broken world, we endure persecution. Persecution from others, persecution from ourselves, right? We, we, uh, others sin against us, and sometimes we jump into the puddle ourselves. And so, uh, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. And Jesus says, of course I will. And so Jesus teaches uh, his disciples to pray, and it's the Lord's Prayer. And so uh, many of you, this might be familiar, but this is how Jesus instructed them to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Our uh, other translations will say, forgive us our trespasses, as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so, uh, how do we pray in a world where we are victimized by the evil and wickedness of others? He simply says this, pray for those who cause you pain. Verse 12, here in Matthew chapter 6, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We pray for those who cause pain. Those who hurt us, those who insult us, those who victimized us, those are the very people we pray for. That's what Jesus did. You remember what Jesus said on the cross as he prayed for those who had crucified him? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They have no clue what they're doing. Forgive them, Lord. And so uh, in the midst of brokenness, we want to pray for those who commit evil and ask that the Lord would bless them and the Lord would save them. You know what that does, by the way, for for us? It keeps our hearts tender. What I've found is prayer and bitterness can't occupy the same space. And so if I'm praying for that person who's hurt me, it, it guards me from bitterness. Right, And so we pray for those who cause us pain. And in that, we pray for ourselves. Lord, help me not be my own worst enemy. Uh, next, we uh, pray for yourself to abstain from sin and evil. 
And so here in the Lord's Prayer, he says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right? So remember our slide on persecution? Two sources. One is others. One is ourselves. So we're praying for others, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, uh, for, you know, help me to forgive those who trespass against me. But now we're praying for ourselves. Lord, lead me not in temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Lord, help me not to jump in the puddle. Right? Okay? And now we, we move our prayer to remember what the next slide was. It, was. it was persecution from evil, but then it was punishment of evil. Punishment of evil. And so uh, Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for God's kingdom to come on earth. Lord, may your kingdom be a reality in Erdington. May your kingdom be a reality in King Standing, in Perry Bar, in Great Bar, in Streetly, in Sutton. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May earth become a mirror image of heaven. How glorious. Would, would that not be amazing? I mean, what if, I, like, I can't imagine King Standing looking like heaven. As much as I love it, right? That's where I live, by the way. But, I, but, but the day's coming. And Jesus said, you need to pray for it every day. You know what that does? It gets my eyes off the brokenness and gets my eyes on the glory. When I'm praying every day, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my neighbor's house, in the primary school, at the factory. May your will be done in these places just like it is in heaven. It gets my eyes off the brokenness. It lifts my spirit and it gets me where my mind needs to be. Colossians says, set your hearts on things above. Not on things of the earth, right? You stare at something long enough, you'll begin to think about it, right? We want to fix our eyes on heaven. And then uh, last way we can pray in the midst of brokenness is we can thank God for ultimate victory in Jesus. Lord, thank you that, that you're not done. Lord, thank you. And, and we begin to celebrate and praise the Lord for that which is yet to come, but is just as sure as that which is. That which is yet to come, but is just as sure as that which is. And this is going to close us out because this is good stuff. And this is Revelation 21, the last thing God chose to put in the Bible. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. For he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Amen. There'll be no dementia in heaven. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no greed. There'll be no selfishness. There'll be no GPs. There'll be no crematoriums. For the old things have passed away. 
and all things will be new. And when we've been there just a million years, we'll just be getting started. We live in a broken world. We know it, but we pray through it. We pray as the Lord Jesus teaches us that he would receive all the glory. Amen, church. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for Psalm 69. Lord, living in brokenness stinks. Children with cancer. Car accidents, war. Natural disasters. This world seems broken. But thank you, God, that, Lord Jesus, your story is bringing beauty out of brokenness. And thank you, Jesus, that one day in heaven we'll have all eternity to testify to your glory, Jesus, of how you took broken pots, put them back together again for your glory, for our good. Lord, we pray for one another. It might be that we know what the person beside us is struggling with this morning. It might be that we're clueless. But thank you, Jesus, that you know every need of our heart. And we pray that you would be at work mending hearts, mending lives, working for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.